Big Fluff. People of Eternia, I stand before the great eye of the galaxy, chosen by destiny to receive the powers of Grayskull. This inevitable moment will transpire before your eyes, even as He-Man himself bears witness to it. All open. Now, I, Skeletor, am master of the universe. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And we are Masters of the Universe. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the <laughs> podcast where we watch maligned movies and try to find their silver linings. And this month we are watching toy-inspired movies. We're blowing right past Thanksgiving, straight to Christmas, straight to the magical 1980s when it was all about capitalism, baby. Yeah. And uh, this is our lone live action movie of the month. Yeah. yeah. Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe, I believe, also came out in 1986, which seems like the sweet spot for this month. I think this is later. Is it? I think so. Maybe it was filmed in 86. I swear I saw 86 somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it might be 80. I think I think it is a little later, though. Isn't every year in 1986 when you really think about it? That's the my 87 is its actual release date. So you're right. But yeah, I think it was filmed in 86. I think I was reading that. But like, but yeah, that, that what a crazy a time. What a crazy time. Yeah. The mid yeah, this is, 80s were. This is arguably. Well, no, it's definitely not. Never mind. I, I, I fully take that back. Uh, but this is an early foray into cinem- live action cinematic adaptations of previously animated properties yes yeah i mean you could in bad faith if you didn't want to be taken seriously argue that we wouldn't get the avengers movies without this i'm gonna make that argument because yeah bad faith arguments are the the tenor of the day baby why not i mean it's just believe whatever you want reality is what you make it (laughs) yeah uh you know it's perception is reality we're all living in a simulation anyway, so why not simulate that this is the impetus for the Avengers? I like to believe that we are all living in a yellow submarine. Fair. Yeah, that's what I actually think is happening. I mean, why not? Yeah. But uh, you don't have any proof that we're not living in a yellow submarine. You can't prove it. You can't prove anything, not with science. No. <laughs> that's. Blatantly evident in the world today. Let's get a whole lot less cynical and talk about the 80s, though. But in case you were wondering, we did record this episode two weeks ago. So, yes, (laughs) just do that math. (laughs) So maybe our cynicism wasn't enough. Who knows? We'll find out. Maybe you won't be here. (laughs) Maybe this episode won't exist. Maybe this is we are recording this into the ether for no good reason. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So. Anyway, there we are. But the speaking of the Avengers, uh, weird subplot, I guess, to mention about this movie. This movie was made by Canon Films, and they actually owned the rights to and were planning on, after this movie, making a live-action Spider-Man film, 
but That's they true. went bankrupt. They also yes. were going to make a sequel to this, and that also didn't happen. And the rumor was they were going to make them simultaneously and use as many overlapping sets as they could. Yeah, so we could have gotten He-Man meet Spider-Man. And really, that's the team up that we've been missing is He-Man meets Spider-Man. Yeah, just imagine Into the Spider-Verse with He-Man in it. You know what? Uh, Across the Spider-Verse hasn't come out yet, so there's no guarantee that He-Man isn't in it. (laughs) That's fair. Uh, Yeah, I I think it's also worth mentioning that there's a lot of strange things about this movie and i'm sure we'll talk about them but like you said i mean it is this live action adaptation of a cartoon but it's in a sense it's not because it's actually a live action adaptation of a toy which makes it perfect for this month and in fact i think one of the places to start when talking about this movie and when maligning this movie is the fact that it is not terribly similar to the cartoon no. Other than the fact that there are characters He-Man, Skeletor, the Sorceress, Tila, Man-at-Arms, and Beast-Man, that's really where it stops. And there is no She-Ra, which is criminal in my mind, because I will tell you that when I was a kid, I did have some He-Man toys. I actually had a fair amount of He-Man toys. I had the Castle Grayskull, I had He-Man, I had Skeletor, but I had She-Ra. And I was madly in love with her as a child. And my, yeah. my mom loves to talk about the fact that I would carry She-Ra around with me as a kid. Like, I, I was big She-Ra fan. So, I, I'm definitely... And I don't think it's any coincidence that you are married to a strong-willed blonde. Yeah, and we live in a castle and have swords. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all coming true. <laughs> I mean, th- th- that's the thing, you know, like, just, you know, live your dreams. Yeah, I, oddly enough, wasn't as into Shira, and I think it's because, for whatever reason, none of the local affiliates carried any episodes of the Shira cartoon near me, so I never got to see it. I was just aware it existed because of the toy aisle, but I did have a lot of He-Man toys. Yeah, no, I we had a lot, I, and I, I'm, like, kind of surprised. I mean, I think possibly, because I don't even remember that I was super into He-Man. I think maybe the toys were cheap. I don't know. But like, I know we well, had they a They were lot. definitely not the most expensive toys. They're pretty mass because considering that literally all of the He-Man toys were the same sculpt with a different head. Yeah, so maybe that was it because if anyone's... Uh, and some of them were the same head with different paint. Yeah, but like if anyone is tracking this month, I did not really have Transformers as a kid because I think they were too expensive. So I at some point had a Grimlock, which was awesome. But uh, yeah, I, I had a, I had a bunch of Transformers, uh, a Care Bear, probably. But I was going to say Care Bears. Maybe I ended up with like a stray one or something, but I didn't really have Care Bears. I had a ton of G.I. Joes to skip ahead to next week. Yes, I also had a G.I. Joes were my favorite. Yeah, they were my and favorite, too. I Transformers a close second. I immediately lost all of their uh, weapons and backpacks and assorted things oh, that they yeah, came with. Oh, yeah, those don't exist. Yeah, like, I think they just fell out of the package and vanished the second they, they bought them. They just, like, dusted away like Thanos snapped them. Yes, but yeah. Had, you take them out of the bubble, the the uh, blister pack, and then <sighs> gone. But yeah, had a had a bunch of G.I. Joe, which was weird, too, because, like, I've, those were ones that survived... To when I was an adult and my mom kind of had that like, you know, if there's anything you want from the house day. And I remember finding them and they were in this big plastic bin. And 
apparently it was the thing with G.I. Joe's is the rubber band that held their midsection together just deteriorated on all of them. So you would pick them up and they would just and snap just, in half. Yeah. Yeah. All fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about He-Man and He-Man, oddly enough, uh, very similar like build, although less articulation, but it was the same like rubber band holding all the bits together and but no bendy elbows or anything like that. Also, do you remember because I know I had this to the the sword, but it was only like half a sword. And I think it was supposed to snap to something else because it had like yeah, it snapped to the Skeletor sword. But I don't think were, I like, had the, the Skeletor sides. sword. I think I only had the He-Man sword. So I had like half a sword. I remember, too, that I would play with. I remember kid. having both and I didn't lose the swords for uh, any of the He-Man stuff. No, the He-Man um, like accessories were easier to contain because they're a little bigger yes and each guy only had like one thing yeah because gi joe's they would all come with like walkie talkies and and guns and like all this stuff there were small parts that i imagine my yes. cats ate or something i don't know what happened to them again we established they dusted away like right, right. yeah um but yeah no i definitely had the castle grayskull playset which was one of the few like full playsets that i had no me too that's uh, why that I was think. a that was a badass toy that because it was it was like almost three feet tall yes no i think that's why i remember it because i didn't have it opened, a lot and it was like it was yeah that but that was one of the few like i had that playset and i had uh the yoda's house from dagobah playset and oh, those were yeah. i think the only two no i didn't have that but i i had the grayskull one and i think that's why i remember it because it, it stood out in that it was this big like it took up more of my room than any of my other toys i think it probably even made it to the point that gi joe's probably battled in Castle Grayskull. Oh, I definitely played with all my toys simultaneously. I didn't like just play He-Man or just play G.I. If anything, I just played G.I. Joe's by themselves. But like there would be stuff where like G.I. Joe's and He-Man and Ninja Turtles would fight. And yeah, um, because I was a big wrestling fan, they all at some point or another became wrestling figures. I think a lot of my G.I. Joe time was was they wrestle or I used to, I remember too, I had this blanket that had a football field on it, you know, like my, my comforter. And so my GI Joes used to play football on top of it too. I remember. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love that so much. That That is delightful. <laughs> but that's not, um, we're, we're not here. This is not just discussing. The, I feel like this is related though. I this feel like is this very is related. less of a digression than we normal, than we've been, than we did for most of October. I feel like this is less of a digression. Well, yeah. I mean, cause it's still relevant. And honestly, all we're doing is basically what the hope of all of these movies was which was that we owned the toys, toys and now we're discussing them which is what the the ultimate goal of all of these yes that asbro was sure that some 30 odd years later uh two schmoes would be talking about the he-man movie <laughs> on something fancy called the internet yeah uh but yeah, it's I mean, it, it's funny, too, because like you I was reading stuff about this movie, too, and like Hasbro had so much pull with this that they literally were like, He-Man will not kill anyone on screen and you will not kill any of the, the like toys that we want to sell, <laughs> like any of the main characters. They learned their lesson from Optimus Prime and they're like, there will be no deaths of profitable characters. <laughs> No, and that's and that's why Skeletor had a bunch of robot soldiers that He-Man could destroy. Yeah, but let's uh, so let's talk yeah. about 
some of the weirder stuff here at the top because so first of all there's the robots which you just mentioned but also combined with that is the i guess i understand it but weird choice that he-man and really everyone has laser guns yeah I mean, He-Man was always a weird hybrid of, like, sword and sorcery plus machinery, but no one had laser guns. No. Well, I guess Man-at-Arms, I think, had laser guns. But, like, I don't ever remember He-Man firing a gun. No, He-Man had the uh, Sword of Grayskull. Right, which is kind of, and I guess maybe that goes into not wanting to see him kill anyone and like you know i mean it's sort of you know to combine all of it uh there's a wrestler that shares your name named drew mcintyre who he comes out to the ring with a sword and it's sort of the same thing of he-man in this movie of like okay yeah you have a sword but you can't use that in any of your fights no it looks cool as an entry prop yeah but no but like big boss man had a nightstick and he used the hell out of that nightstick yeah he did I still think the highlight of wrestling might have been when The Rock one-handed catch caught catched. I said catched caught. You did the nightstick at the 1998 Survivor Series. That that was the peak. It's all been downhill ever since. Yep. But uh, but yeah. So he's not really using his sword. I mean, he does in the final battle. Uh, but other than that, he's he's shooting robots. I mean, in a sense, I don't know if you had this, but it kind of reminded me of when we did that Star Wars knockoff. What was that called? Uh, uh, Star Crash. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of Star Crash. Like it kind of felt like I was watching a Star Wars knockoff a lot of the time. Yeah, like this movie. And I think this gets to one of the silver linings is this movie for all it did relative to like the probably hype that it was getting had a micro budget yes yeah which i guess segues nicely into the next thing i was going to mention which it's fairly obvious it's for budgetary reasons but you get the setup we start the movie and and the throne room looks great like we get the throne room at castle gray skull uh but 90 percent of this movie takes place in earth <laughs> like in Whittier in any Cal- town usa yeah. yeah i think it was shot in whittier california but yeah it's just like a town that was near the studio that they could film in that saved them a ton of money and there's probably a lot of just like hollywood street backlot scenes being shot and- i'm sure yeah yeah that it like the director did convince the studio to let him begin and end the movie on planet eternia Yeah, I did see that, too, that apparently the original script had none of that. And it was just uh, all on Earth. It was just all the He-Mans showing up to Earth. Yeah, which also that's another thing, too, with uh, apparently the the money problems that Canon Films was having while making this. They shut down production before finishing the movie and the director had to lobby to shoot the end, which... I actually think he did a really great job on, but reading that before watching it, one of the things I saw too is like the throne room set had been taken down by that point because it was weeks later. So you can kind of see it in the final battle where He-Man and Skeletor are fighting, but there isn't really a background. It's just like a series of different light effects because they're sort of fighting nowhere because the set doesn't exist anymore. I I think it it looked cool. And if I didn't know, I don't think I would have known, but... It's not great that they had to shoot that later because they ran out of money. No, that's um, 
Yeah, I mean, I will save it for the sale silver lining, but like this movie stretched the dollars pretty far. Yeah, I mean, considering, yeah, how cheap it had to be made, I don't think it looked bad. Yeah, and like, and I think the production design, they definitely made the most like the alien creatures looked cool. The like the Skeletor's the outfits were awesome. Like, you know, they they did it. I will um, say that since we're not in the silver linings part yet, I, I I did think there was a problem with Skeletor's mouth. Like Skeletor's mouth did not really move. It didn't. It it was uh, just off enough that it was yeah. like, disorienting. Definitely. Yeah. I, where it's like, and I think it might have been as simple as if they so, somehow could have made the latex mask two parts. So that there was a part on his chin and the rest of it so that when the mouth was moving, it moved a little more fluidly, I think would have worked. It, it, it definitely had a little bit of like Muppet flapping effect when he was talking. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of lines were probably dubbed, too, because I think it probably hindered his ability to talk. Almost certainly. Um, Which, by the way, yeah. uh, just speaking of dubbing before I forget. I will say that that was something else that I read that is a lot of what they talked about is like Dolph Lundgren, uh, that they wanted to dub his lines uh, because they thought his accent would be distracting. But I will say I I think it was fine. Like they didn't do it because they ran out of money, but I think he sounds great. I don't think that's in any way an issue. In the I, movie. I don't think it's the pro. I don't think it's a problem whatsoever. Yeah, because um, he's not doing like full life in Drago and like. Here's the thing about Dolph Lundgren is he's a brilliant man and a positive contributor to society. And, you know, he did have a Swedish accent a little bit, but you're going to tell me that you see the you see a guy that looks like he man and you don't expect him to sound Nordic. I mean, come come on. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, you have that and you can see that with like, you know, Hemsworth as Thor or whatever, like. I don't know. What is He-Man's accent? He-Man's accent can be whatever you want it to be. Like, it doesn't right. matter. He's he no. lives on an alien planet in a different universe. Like, yeah, make him sound like whatever you want him to sound like. It's not an issue. But yeah, also, you needed to cast He-Man and you ain't getting better than Dolph Lundgren. You're there's no better actor to play He-Man in 1986-87 than Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, I mean if he falls through you're calling Hulk Hogan and if that doesn't work then you don't have a person to play He-Man. Yeah, cuz you're not casting Lex Luger. I mean, let's be <laughs> honest here. No, he'd mess up everything. Yeah, he'd, he would he'd be terrible. He'd break um, the set like Sting could have done it maybe. Maybe. Yeah, with Blonde Sting, I guess. Yeah. You know, but in 80, in 87, that's not he wasn't really that Sting quite yet. So he wasn't a couple years later. Sting might have been the guy. But. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, Dolph Lundgren. He was He-Man. Yeah. Like th there's there's literally nobody else because Arnold wouldn't have worked. No. And also would have had an accent. So if that was your issue. And, right. And would have been way too much money. Yes. Yeah, even the well, yeah, by by then, by eighty six, yeah, you're not affording you're not. I mean Terminator had come out, yeah. Commando had come out, uh Predator was in the process of being released, like Yeah. You're not getting Arnold. Uh, but that's the other thing is like it's also like Dolph Lundgren's accent was never as thick as Arnold's was as at its thickest. Right. And they so. just named him Gordy Brewer and were like, he's from Canada in movies, so it right. was fine. His name's John Matrix. <laughs> A very normal American name, John Matrix. Yes. Which I know a lot of people get this confused. That was not Keanu Reeves name. 
in that movie from 1999. That's not how I remember it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I Johnny think the Matrix. Johnny the Matrix. Yeah. Uh, that was the one where he had all the computer files in his brain. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Matrix with a silent M and yes. In the beginning. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that was kind of a lot of it. The I think the budget, I think the fact that it was on Earth, I think the the lack of characters like She-Ra and other, uh, you know, staple characters that you'd want to see. There's no there, yeah. there ain't no tiger in this movie either. No, there's no battle cat. That yeah. pissed me off because I was a huge battle cat fan. Yeah. Um, you know, Gwildor was uh like a wish version of Orko. Let's be honest here. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, love Billy Barty. You know, uh, iconic little person actor. Um, and great. But where's my man? Because they couldn't. They probably didn't have the money to make someone look like they were floating. So they were like, yeah, we'll just scrap Orko. And yeah, but yeah, I think I don't know if there's anything else specifically you want to malign. Actually, as I said that, I, there's one thing that I. I don't even know if I'm aligning. It might be in the liminal space. So if you have anything else first, let me know. I think I'm into the liminal space. And I, I think that maybe this is more so than any other movie. Uh, we should just devote a, se a segment to just things that made you go, what? Like just confusing things that happened in this movie. That's perfect. Because, yeah, I have one of those. But, but go ahead if you want to. I have. I. To be honest, that might be 70% of the runtime for me. Yes. Uh, yeah. The first one, they paid money to have Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix played in the movie. And a movie where you're struggling financially to, to like keep the lights on, you paid for a <laughs> Hendrix song. You paid for 30 seconds of Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. Which probably cost more than, almost probably the entire costume budget for the film. I have to assume that either that or they did it illegally. <laughs> They they read some loophole that it's like 28 seconds and that's like just under the cutoff or something that they had to pay. They, they were just under the legal limit to play Purple Haze. <laughs> Maybe. Something, but it's just like. It's so. Like weird, because that was a 20 year old song when this movie came out. Right. It's not even like a current song, but it is. An eternally expensive song to put in a movie, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it is one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time, for sure. And immediately iconic. Right. Uh, but yeah, just so weird that that showed up. Well, especially like when this month we're sitting here and we're talking about like the Transformers movie, which is pulling bands you haven't heard of to do just 80 sounding music because they can't afford that kind of needle drop and he-man that again was made by a studio that was about to go bankrupt essentially was like yeah we can get purple haze why not yeah we'll get well let's let's, let's call the, whoever owns the hendrix masters and we'll get 30 seconds of purple haze in a scene that is not in any way shape or form enhanced by it no you we don't need it but i will spend this money <laughs> yeah no that one was strange the one that i wanted to mention and I think it happens like three or four times and I never knew what to make of it. But I think it's twice with Skeletor and then Evelyn does it where they just look directly into the camera and address us, the audience. And it's a weird choice every single time. 
but like in a non fourth wall breaking way. But that's what I mean. It's like I didn't like I literally did not know what to make of the choice because it they're just looking into camera. But it's almost like they're looking into camera like they're a newscaster or something <laughs> like. Oh, no, you know, you know what it's like? It's like um, who shot Mr. Burns part one. Oh, the, when yeah. Chief Wiggums yes. is like, was it you? Yeah. No, Chief, it, it wasn't me. Yeah, because like you said, it, there's a, there's nothing that implies that it actually is supposed to be an address to us, that it's breaking the fourth wall. It's just for some reason the camera is pointed right at their face and they're looking into the camera, but it, but essentially addressing the room that they're in. Yeah, whoever's on the opposite side of the, the camera in the, the space of the action. But it's always like that's the thing is when someone looks into a camera, especially in a movie where that again, it's not a newscast. It's not like it's not breaking the fourth wall. It's unnerving. It's intentionally unnerving. And usually if directors make that choice, they understand that that's the choice they're making to break the fourth wall. But yeah, this movie just does it. But for seemingly no reason. Yeah, it's weird how just having the actor look like 45 degrees to the right and deliver the exact same line completely. We completely allow that. But when they're looking dead center, it's it, it's off putting. Yeah, it feels like one of those paintings where the eyes follow you or whatever. Like, it feels like they're looking at you versus. Yeah, if they're you mean all of them. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, if the eye line is just off. Then, yeah, it's fine. But yeah, I just I really didn't know what to make of it. And it it happened like just enough. That it wasn't an accident, but not enough that it was any kind of motif. It just was a thing that happened like three times. Yeah. Um, and even in times where it would have made sense, like the clip you chose for the intro where Skeletor is addressing the people of Eternia. Not not in that scene. Yeah. Like that's that's a scene where it could have happened. But he doesn't No, it, it, that scene. It, he's like a hologram projection and he's just looking out at nothing. Yeah, but it's it's just weird. Yeah, it's very it's and there's there's a lot of moments like that. Um, oh, do you know, you know, it's another liminal thing <laughs> is did Blake, did this movie make you think of Back to the Future? <laughs> yeah, like in terms of one that uh, there's an actor that is from Back to the Future uh, who's in this movie who uh, I'm trying to find his name because I don't remember it. Yeah, he plays Lubick in this movie. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find, no. but he's oh, it's James a, Tolkien. Yep, you found it right before me. But yeah, James Tolkien, who is the principal from Back to the Future, is a detective in this. So he's similarly an authority figure. And in fact, in this, he has a gun and he's chasing them. And it honestly really reminded me of Back to the Future Part 2, where they're sort of in the, the you know, nightmare 1985, where uh, his character is kind of like that, where the principal has now become a weird, paranoid, like, gun-toting yeah. vigilante. Uh, but so there yes. was that. There also is... So we haven't talked about the fact that Courtney Cox is in this movie, which is just a thing that's true. But... That is, she, just, that is neither maligned or silver... Yeah. That is just a fact about this movie. But she falls asleep on a front porch uh, bench swing, whatever, which is essentially what happens to Jennifer at the end of Back to the Future. And then also the the end, her ending is a straight up Back to the Future ending, which is that she goes back to Earth 
and that they they those sneaky bastards they they sent her just early enough because we also haven't talked about the fact that her parents died in a plane crash and so she gets actually sent back to earth which also to be clear so we all understand this at no point up until the last second that this choice is made was it ever implied that time travel is part of this it just seemed like a portal that sent you from our world to theirs but suddenly at the last second they're like oh and you can also go back in time i guess it's like we can send you back to any point in your in your own timeline yeah, and then so is she thinks that she's saying it too late but like right at the last second she's like wait send me back to before my parents died and then she wakes up and uh her parents are still alive but what i love about this choice and maybe this segues into silver linings if we're ready for that is so, okay, again, it's a Back to the Future thing. I don't know what to make of all the, the parts that feel like Back to the Future. But what I thought was hilarious is like, so the end of Back to the Future, Marty's in this world. He gets the truck. His parents are happy. Biff is still hanging around, even though he's a horrible criminal and should be in jail. Uh, but he's washing their car or whatever. But then everybody's happy and it's this really joyous ending. I love that Courtney Cox goes back in time and her parents are there. And then it's still she's like, hey, I don't think you guys should get in that airplane today. And they're like, shut up. We're getting in the airplane. And then she has to, like, steal their keys and run out of the house. Like, it's weirdly tense. Yeah. It's a weird choice. Yeah. To not just make it like, OK, honey, sure, we'll hang out with you. Like, they're mad about it. <laughs> yeah, it's. It... This is just a weird movie. It's a very weird movie. But I like I said, I don't know if we're in Silver Linings officially now, but like I did kind of enjoy the choice that her parents, whose lives she's saving, were kind of like, oh, honey, don't <laughs> tell us what to do. About it. Don't it's tell like, us you're what to do. You're just a dumb kid. Yeah. Let us get on this plane. What do you know? I'm going to drink this fifth of Jack Daniels and get behind the, <laughs> the cockpit like I always do. <laughs> Your mother bet uh, yeah, me that I can't fly blindfolded. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're by we're going on the cheapest airline. <laughs> I mean, I well, I thought that they I got the sense that her dad was flying the plane, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. I, I think it was that they were in a commercial plane crash. Oh, was, was it was my take of it? Yeah. Oh, OK. Huh. Oh, fair enough. But yeah, for some, I thought her parents like owned like a their own little airplane and a were small flying. plane. Yeah. It could have been, but I thought they were, they took her keys so they couldn't drive to the airport was my take on it. But I don't. The only flaw in this movie is that's not made clear. Yeah. Also, since we've now mentioned that Courtney Cox is in this movie, I guess we should also mention that Christina Pickles, who plays her mom on Friends, is also in this movie as the sorceress of Castle Grayskull. Yeah, uh, that's what a weird coincidence. And they have scenes together in this like they, they have conversations with each other. In this movie, I wonder if they talked about it on the set of Friends. I like to imagine that uh, Kaufman and Crane were thinking about who to cast as Ma Geller. And they, this just happened to be on HBO and like, damn, Courtney Cox and Christina Pickles have some chemistry. Let's see if we can get her to read for this. <laughs> you know, if you take out everything that's happening in this scene and just focus on these two women and their relationship, I really think there's something there. There's a real like mother daughter vibe that we could definitely capitalize on. Uh, but and then what's Elliot Gould doing? Let's cast him. <laughs> what's 70s sexiest man alive Elliot Gould up to now in the 1990s? 
because never forget that everybody and if you're too young and you're listening to this and you don't understand elliot gould and donald sutherland were the two sexiest people in the 1970s the i think the most 70s statement that you can make is that the name of the sexiest man alive is elliot gould (laughs) have you ever seen that i think it was like a tv guide cover or something where it's elliot gould and grover and it's like kind of sexy like he's like he looks sexy with Grover. It's it's amazing. He was sex on a stick, man. Ellie Gould in the seventies. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. So if you do yourself a favor and, and Google yeah, and search that need, one, <laughs> get on the 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 internet machine and look it up. I'm telling you. But clear your night. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. By the way, speaking it, of homoerotic things, uh, I think that that's a silver... He-Man the hell you say? Well, that's what I was going to say. I think that that has to be a silver lining for this movie is I'm going to imagine that there are quite a few young boys out there who discovered something about themselves seeing a shirtless Dolph Lundgren all oiled up in a harness getting whipped. I think that yeah. that was probably a moment for some people. You're not going to tell me that some aspiring leather daddies saw Anthony DeLonga's whipping He-Man in that Blade costume and were like, I don't, something's incredibly right about what's happening here. Because, I mean, I had it, watching it, of just like, I can't believe this is in a children's movie was like kind of my vibe. Well, and one of the other like villainous aliens, Karg, just has total old queen vibes. Oh, yeah. But no, like just I, has not queen the band, like just like aging queen, like aging, like over it gay man vibes. He has like his big pompadoured white hair and his little mini cape. And it's just he's he's it's queer coding is what yeah. it is. Well, and when then you combine all of that with the fact that this movie gives He-Man no love interest. So like he is not attracted to any women in the movie. Like it definitely I think I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it definitely plays a certain way that like it it feels like he-man is you know possibly a gay icon uh there's no possibly about it and just <laughs> the fact that like uh whenever duncan is introduced he gets introduced as duncan and then he's like man at arms yeah <laughs> uh but yeah so uh, i i no, do think that's a silver lining i think that's great for this i movie. love it no yeah. this movie is is Probably even more overt at queer coding than the actual He-Man cartoon was. Yes, which I mean, the He-Man cartoon when he was Prince, was it Prince Adam? Prince oh. Adam. Prince Adam was a hell of a look <laughs> with that Prince Valiant haircut and yeah. the tight purple pants. <laughs> yeah, and then when he when he grabs the sword and screams, "I have the power!" He was wearing a fuzzy diaper and bondage gear. Come on. Yeah, I mean, what we're saying is, man, the '80s were a golden era. <laughs> They were a time. Yeah, they were. They were a time. Uh, But we also while we're uh, silver linings things in this movie, we got to talk about Frank Langella. Oh, I mean, he's he's it. He showed up and like I am. You can't convince because I read to that. Like, I think his kid was into this and that was kind of why he did it. But that man showed up. To play a Shakespearean villain, and I mean that in the best way possible of like he prepared like this was Hamlet, like he showed up to set and gave gravitas to Skeletor. No, he like Skeletor is like this tragic villain 
it, it, he does it so well. It's couldn't be any. It's couldn't be any less like the cartoon toy Skeletor comic book, etc. Like he's just he plays him with like real pathos and like he plays the villain as completely justified in his actions. And it's it's great. Yeah, no, it he's is a legit fantastic. great performance. It is. No, it's yeah, it's truly great. I know that he like improvised some of his lines. What is the what? There's one line that's amazing uh, that I, I don't have it in front of you. Maybe you can remember, but he says something to the effect of like, what is it like being the hero? Is it as lonely as it is being the villain? <laughs> or like, some, yeah. there's some like just amazingly tragic line that he says. <laughs> I think that's pretty close to the line. I think the the actual line is like, what's what's it like being the hero? Is it as lonely as being evil? Yeah, it's something like that. But it's like, like, it's so good. But one that line is like oddly profound, especially at the moment that it's happening. And then like being delivered by Frank Langella, who is delivering it like it is a line from a Shakespeare. Like it's Lawrence Olivier at the Royal (laughs) Shakespeare Company. No, he goes all in on it. And it's. Like, because, I mean, that's the point of He-Man is there is no shade of gray in the He-Man universe, in the toys, in the anything. And, like, that's kind of the greatness of 80s toys is that it's very clear cut. Um, And he plays it like that. He's like, I am He-Man's opposite number. So what does that mean? What does that say about me as a as a character? And, oh, my God, he... He just it's so good. It really (laughs) is so good. Also, love the character design at the end when he transforms goes golden. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the the clip that we played at the beginning. That's as soon as he because he grabs a sword and then he becomes I don't even know if there's a name for whatever he is at the end, but like super shredder. Yeah, he's super shredder. It was Kevin Nash uh, subbed in for Frank Langella. (laughs) But uh, no, he looks fantastic in the final battle. I would have bought that toy. When I was a kid, I, it, they didn't make very many toys directly from the movies. Like, I think Blade eventually got made into a toy for those aspiring leather daddies out there. <laughs> um, they were like, we got your letters. Fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, And and uh, I think Saurad, the lizard dude, got made into a toy, which also I mean, all of the villain like the there again, there's a lot of Star Wars vibes in this movie, but the. The the villains that Skeletor sends to Earth to retrieve the, you know, whatever MacGuffin thing that they're... The cosmic the, key. Yeah, the cosmic key. Uh, they all look like, you know, great just versions of the bounty hunters that are sent at the, you yes. know, in Star Wars. Like, yeah, there's a lizard guy. There's a bald guy uh, with like... There's, there's a lizard guy. There's a leather daddy. Yeah. There's an aging queen. And then there's Evelyn. <laughs> And Beastman. And Beastman. Beastman is great. Beastman who gets, uh, what is it? Courtney Cox throwing like ammonia in his face. Yeah, he just throws ammonia in his face. <laughs> it's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Uh, and he, like, I mean, he sells it, but he kind of no sells it too. Like it's. Well, we don't know enough about Beastman to know what ammonia is going to do. Like it definitely probably burned his eyes, but yeah, like he, he seems startled, but then he recovered pretty quickly. It- yeah. Um also Evelyn great. Just the Meg Foster oh. fantastic as Evelyn. Yeah, she's a, just a, sort of an icon of sci-fi cinema because she has very 
very striking eyes that I think make evil in the character. And like, she's another one that like this could have been a glorified extra with the amount of evil in that's on the page. But like, she really commits to being, to go taking her, like believing her character has an arc and all that and going through it. And it's, no, she looked great. And yeah. Which also, and shout out to her too. Cause from the stuff I was reading, that costume was not comfortable to wear the, like no. the bodice that they have her in or whatever. But no, I want to give a shout out to her too, because the scene that she has that I love, which is also such a dark scene for this movie is, so there is a part where, again, as we said, Courtney Cox's parents, and to be clear, I guess we didn't fully set it up, but Courtney Cox is just a person on earth that she's yes, like she's a waitress and she's getting ready to leave town with her boyfriend. But yeah, it's made clear that her parents died in this plane crash. So she has the the cosmic key and her mom shows up and is like, hi, honey, I guess what? I'm not dead. Had to pretend not to be dead for reasons. Anyway, can you give me that cosmic key? And it's like this really emotional scene. And Courtney Cox plays it really well, too. And she gives the key to her mom. And then her mom immediately turns into Evelyn, who just soaks up how stupid Courtney Cox is and how great it is that she has tricked her by using her dead mom. And it's dark as hell and amazing. Oh, it's so dark and so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's so great. Yeah. No, so she yeah, she did a great job. Uh, I actually the whole cast was good. I mean, I like like you said, Billy Barty uh, was a really fun choice. He has such a great voice. He does. And he really hams it up as as Gwildor. Um, John Cypher, who is not uh, to be confused with John Matrix or any other (laughs) dumb name that Schwarzenegger has had uh, is mad at arms. He does what he needs to do. Um, Chelsea Field is Tila. Also really good. Yeah. Um. It's yeah, like this movie, like the production, like everything looks as good as anything did in 1987. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I think every dollar was stretched as far as possible. It all ended up on screen. I I kind of wish we had gotten the sequel to this, which apparently wouldn't have had Dolph Lundgren, but uh, I, I would have watched it. Yeah, I, I, I know I would have because I like even my seven year old self watching this movie you know when i first saw it like i kind of knew it wasn't good but i loved it yeah like, i just i loved yeah I, and again i think that like i think for kids and i think pro- part of the reason that it probably struggled is i think it was too far from what kids were expecting so your built-in audience for it couldn't really recognize it as the cartoon that they liked but it's interesting because I do think that it has a bit of a cult following now because I think people who approached it without any preconceived notions of what it was supposed to be or, or what they wanted it to be enjoy it for what it is, which is this kind of weird space battle epic. <laughs> yeah, it's this weird hybrid of like Back to the Future, The Last Starfighter and a bunch of other of those 80s movies from that era. Which does kind of feel like you were saying of it almost feels like dumping out your toy box and just taking all the toys that you have and making up your own weird story with them. Yeah. And I mean, other than like Dolph Lundgren couldn't look more like He-Man. Yeah. Like that. They nailed that. That's about yeah, nobody else quite looks like they did. <laughs> but Dolph Lundgren certainly does. 
No, and but like literally, like I don't think I would even go as far to say that no on-screen character has looked more accurate to their source material without CGI accoutrement than Dolph Lundgren did as He-Man. Well, Patrick Stewart as uh, Professor X, but yes, other than that, okay, those are the two. But he could walk. Those, those are, the are the two. two. Yeah, those are the two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those are the two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's. It's it's uncanny how much he looks like he man like the X-Men that Patrick Stewart was in charge of. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, this may have also gone in the liminal space, but I, I have to believe that a young Howard Shore uh, was watching this movie and heard the very first boom that he decided to use in every uh, Christopher Nolan movie from that point onward. <laughs> For sure. That etched into his brain. Also, I do want to give a shout out to the 80s-ness of uh, the fact that they're able to make their own cosmic key because Courtney Cox's boyfriend is real good at like Casio keyboards or whatever. He's because he's, he's a musician. <laughs> he's a musician who can recreate the sounds, which I kind of love too. like that. It's it's a sound based key. And he's like, I'm good at remembering music sounds and I can play well, them on a keyboard. It's the He-Man song from the cartoon, yes. which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's so awesome. No, that was all. I, I did really enjoy that. Uh, and I'm going to say it one more time. We said it, but I want to say it again. That Castle Grayskull, like, the interior set looked really good. Yeah. It looked better than anything in Star Crash, that's for damn sure. I mean, everything in this movie looked better than everything in Star Crash, but... All right, I'll, I'll give you that one. Um, <laughs> no, like, it's... This movie is fun. It is and, fun. Yeah. Like it takes itself just the right amount of serious that I think works. Yeah. It's I mean, it's an enjoyable movie. Like it's definitely uh, you know, it's out there, but it it's fun. If you want a very oh, it's 80s <laughs> very 80s movie. Yeah, this is it, it it has like the original like red, yellow and white Burger King wrappers all over the place. It's Oh, man, I don't know if you because there was a post credit scene, which, again, you know, you want to talk precursors to Marvel. But uh, I knew that was there and I was waiting for it. But all the thanks are like, thank you to Burger King and Casio. And like, they're all just thank you to products that were placed in the movie. Well, I'm sure that's how they probably stretch the budget is product placement. Yeah, which I will say, too, even with that, like, it didn't feel distracting. It just felt like, you know, there, it was there. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Tony Stark sitting there eating that hamburger while do doing the press right. conference. Right. Yeah, it, um, but no, it does. I'm sure this isn't the first post credit scene, but it's the first one I remember. Well, and I think it's notable, too, because it, it's for this kind of action movie that's based on something from our childhood. So, again, it stands out. Now with like the because I remember a lot of post credit scenes, but they would be stuff like uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Wayne's World or like where they were kind of comedies that had one last joke. But I, I don't remember a lot of things like this where it was like after the credits, you got this tease of the villain will be back. Right. And he never was. As far as we know, he could be. Yeah, there's still time. Yeah, I would still watch Frank Langella play Skeletor. And I would watch Dolph Lundgren play He-Man. I would watch that movie now. Let's just make it. Yes. Yeah, I, I would I would watch a 
real-time sequel to He-Man with as many actors as we could drum up from the original. And now we got that like red skull makeup, so we could we could even get a, a better uh, mask for Langella. Yeah. Okay, so this is what's happening. So we're all... <laughs> uh, I think we could probably all collectively maybe buy canon films. Like, they went bankrupt, right? I don't know what happened to their ownership but can we I just, might own it yeah but like maybe we could just we could figure out how to own canon films and then we're gonna go ahead <laughs> we're gonna make this sequel uh to and it's gonna start right where this one ends except that it'll be like that's the thing is because time, we introduced time travel time travel is in it and like courtney cox you're doing these screen movies we need you back as well obviously in yeah. this but uh it's just he climbs out of the bottomless pit, you know, the whatever water that he's in. But then it turns out that it's actually been decades that Eve is down there. But he but it felt instantaneous to him. Yes. Yeah. No, I think it's great. And, um, and then yeah. just to like it, blow every, just to blow everybody's mind. Um, in addition to having uh, Robert Duncan McNeil play Kevin Corrigan, we're also going to have the actor Kevin Corrigan. Yeah, it's going to get real confusing. Um, yeah, just to have uh, Kevin Corgan, who was in uh, The Departed, he played Leonardo DiCaprio's like cousin that gets him into the mob, and he's a that guy. Yeah. He's, he was the uh, he was the acting teacher in Community. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're going to so get he's him gonna be in the movie too. We're also going to do the vision that they had for this sequel, which is we're going to use as many sets as possible from uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Uh, and we're also just going to buy all of the sets from Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark and, and yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it's going to take place on a Broadway set. So. Yeah. Uh, we're really going to you're going to see all all the money we put into this. Uh, all that extra cash we made from our Nick Cage uh, catching Nick Cage GoFundMe. Uh, is going to go to this. Yeah. So look for that probably 2024 at this point. Yeah. But, uh, you maybe, know, be maybe holiday season 2023. This movie is probably not going to take that long. Yeah. But it's going to uh, be great. Um, no, this movie is is wild. Uh, it's aged poorly in all the best ways. Mm hmm. You know, like it's 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 aged poorly in a way that's nostalgic, not like. You can't enjoy it anymore. It, this it's fun, and you know, cash grabs are are good for the economy. Also, Hasbro, if you're listening, I'm an adult with disposable income. You make that Skeletor in the golden costume. I'm buying it. Yeah, I mean, we know friend of the show Jonathan Davenport will probably buy it too. <laughs> He'll probably design it. Yeah, if you want, I mean, hit up Design Mode Studios at Davenport. <laughs> on all the socials and get it done. Shut up and take our money. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. This is Philip and Katie and Bridget, and we're three friends who like movies. Especially movies of yore when we were small and everything seemed awesome. Now we're revisiting these bright shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real. So sit back and relax and revisit the best, the worst, and everything in between from the 80s and 90s. And find out, is, is it for real? real? I will be back. <laughs>